beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome friends to this special episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. Special because instead of asking a question that you're supposed to use as a conversation starter, instead today I am just going to talk about myself. I know I said on social media that this week was going to be a books show. I meant at the time that this was going to be a books and reading show, sharing like I usually do, all of the great books I've been reading. Instead, there's been a change in the schedule, and today I'm going to talk about the book I've been writing, or more technically, the book that I wrote and have turned in. It is finished. There will still be a books and reading episode next week. I've read some great stuff lately. I really do want to tell you about that. But this episode about the book that I wrote and turned in in the spring, in the middle of lockdown, quarantine, coronavirus, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while because as long as I've been working online and I've followed so many people who have written books, I've always had a million questions about how they did it, what the process was like, what the expectations were, and I never really felt like most people were particularly open about the process, and I understand why. But I always said to myself that if I ever got a chance to write a book, I would want to share what it was really like. And so that's what this episode is. I asked in the 10 Things to Tell You Connection Group on Facebook. If you haven't joined that, you should. It's a really great community where we can talk about different aspects of the show each week. We can answer the prompts in there if we're not comfortable doing it online or in our real life. I really love the Connection Group. And I asked in there about this topic, what questions people would have about the book writing, the book publishing process. And so I put a list of those questions together to do this episode. So it's broken into three parts. There is the before, which is how I got an agent, how I wrote the proposal, how I got the idea for the book in the first place, how I got a publisher. Then there is the 
during, a little bit about my writing routines and rituals and how it felt to actually be doing long form work, which I'd never ever done before. And then there is the after, which we are still in, but basically what the editing process was like, what the marketing process is going to be like, all of that kind of stuff. So the reason I'm doing this episode this week, which was not exactly the plan, is because last week, kind of quietly, the book, my book, which is not out until February of 2021, so we're a good seven months away, but it suddenly showed up online on some online retailers, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. There it was suddenly, and I didn't even know it actually. I had a couple of friends and a couple of people on Instagram message me that they had stumbled across it and my book was up and suddenly it just felt like, oh my God, it's go time. Here we go. I really wanted to share the title of the book and the cover of the book, which I super love. And so I did that in the Secret Posts newsletter last week, and then I put it on social, and it was all very exciting. It is much, much earlier than I thought I was going to (laughs) be revealing the cover and all of that stuff, because again, we have such a long time until it actually comes out. But it's not too early to have this episode about writing the book, because I have been meaning to do that anyway. I also promise you that I will not be completely bombarding you with book-related stuff all the time. But it's a super exciting thing for me. I have never written a book before. This is my first book. It has been a lifelong dream. And so, yes, I'm excited about it. So, yes, I will talk about it. But after this, probably not for another few months until we get much closer to launch. Here's a little bit of the backstory before we even get to the agent proposal publisher stage. I started a blog, a mommy blog, in the very beginning of... 2010. And mommy blogging was already in full swing. I was reading them. I was a new mom. My daughter, my first child was only a few months old. And I've been reading these personal blogs for a while at this point. And so when I started my blog, I was looking for a creative outlet. I'd been working in reality television for many years. And now I was at home with a baby, which was not what I was expecting. And so I was looking to sort of funnel some of my creative energy into a project. And also, I'd always wanted to be a writer. I actually moved to Los Angeles to become a writer. I wanted to write books or screenplays or write on a TV show. I had no idea what that meant when I did that. But I have always felt in my most deepest part of my soul that I am a writer. I've known that since I was a child, just like you know anything else about yourself. I thought that for me and for my life. So when I moved to Los Angeles 19 years ago, I saw myself being a writer. Well, what actually ended up happening is that I fell into TV production instead of TV writing. And that's a whole other episode, really. But I did that for many, many years. And it is good work and hard work. And most of the time, I didn't mind working in production, but it is not particularly creative work. And so I never really got a lot of writing off the ground during those early years in LA. So now, as a new mom and not working in a traditional job anymore, I felt like now is my time to do some writing. So I started this blog with my eventual eye on traditional publishing. I wanted to have a book or you know, a byline in a magazine or newspaper or something like that. Like I really wanted to take some very traditional routes, but I knew that I didn't have any experience. And it felt like at the time and to this day that blogging was an amazing avenue to cut your teeth in the written word for an audience every day. For many years, I blogged every weekday, five days a week. That's a lot of words. That's a lot of writing. And I enjoyed it, and mommy blogging was a whole other thing that, again, I could spin off and talk about for a long time, what it taught me, the doors it opened for me, the person I became through mommy blogging. But what's relevant for this episode is that I always wanted to have a longer form, more permanent, tangible writing project in my hands. Well, so after I had blogged for five or six years, it had been a while that I had been blogging and really involved in the blogging community, like speaking at blogging conferences, monetizing the blog, like really treating my blog as a real business, which it was. But I got to a point where I was sort of starting to wind down that daily blogging. I wasn't doing that anymore. I was a co-host on the Sorta Awesome podcast by that time, and I was 
shocked and amazed, frankly, at how much I enjoyed podcasting and enjoyed speaking into the microphone and using conversation as my medium instead of writing as my medium. It was kind of a little bit of a crossroads for me of where to go. I was a co-host on a podcast. I was winding down my blogging, what to do next. And I felt like the most natural thing was to write a book, right? Clearly. And so five, six years into blogging and a like four-ish years ago from now, I put together a book proposal that was based off of my blog, really. It was sort of an extension of my blog and the things that I had been writing there. But remember, I was really winding down that time, which means I wasn't really super excited about writing about parenthood or even marriage or even a lot of the things that I wrote about back then, which was sort of the identity of me being a small town Oklahoma girl living this Los Angeles Hollywood life. That was kind of a lot of the themes of my writing back then. I sort of wrote my way through that whole transition, like sort of as I was really changing and becoming a wife and a mom and a Californian I wrote and wrote and wrote, and then when I got to the end of that writing and decided I wanted to make that into a book, I actually wasn't super psyched on those themes anymore, but it just felt like I didn't know what else to do. So I packaged together a book proposal back then. I called in a bunch of favors, meaning I had blogger friends who had already published. So I had them hook me up with meetings with their agent or their publisher or You know, I reached out to author friends who let me borrow their book proposal templates so that I could create my own. And I really just thought that was the next thing for me. And what happened was every single person that I presented that project to rejected it. Now, there were various forms of rejection back then. When I was blogging, I had been approached by publishers and agents because blogging was super hot. That's where a lot of new books were being published out of the blogging world. And so it wasn't unusual that if you had an audience as a blogger that you would, you know, maybe be approached in that way. But I had not taken up any of those offers over the years for various reasons that I did not think they were the right fit. And so now when it was time that I really wanted to finally publish something, when I presented them with what my idea was, basically an extension of my blog, 100% of the people said no. No, this isn't a great idea. No, this writing isn't strong enough. No, I don't think we would be a good fit to work together. I got a lot of no's in the summer of, I think it was 2015, but I'm not positive, but it was years ago. And I was so sad because I didn't know what else to do. I This was my next thing. It felt right. It felt like a bigger picture of what I wanted to be doing. But I knew then that the project itself, the proposal that I had made coming out of my blog days was not amazing. And I think that that's important that you can kind of do a check-in with yourself when you get a rejection and you can see if it spurs you forward, like you're not going to take no for an answer and that you seek other avenues or that you try again or that kind of thing because you really believe in the project. Or when you get a rejection or multiple rejections like I did, for you to realize, oh, this is not the right thing maybe. Like I am relieved to not have to do this because I think they're right. This isn't great. So after that, it felt like a sign to me to close up that blog, that mommy blog, sort of close that chapter of my life and do something else. And that felt good. I continued to be a co-host on Sorta Awesome. I spun off and did a side project with Meg Teets that we called Smartest Person in the Room. I really enjoyed making that show. And then, of course, eventually, I launched the 10 Things to Tell You blog and not long after the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. So that's kind of how we got here. And I'm skipping over several years in there of throwing a few things against the wall to see what sticks. Blogging, podcasting, trying some different things on social media, keeping up my email newsletter secret posts, which I've always loved, like just sort of following, like Elizabeth Gilbert says in Big Magic, like just sort of following the things that felt good, that felt right, that lit me up inside, even if they didn't seem to make sense. When I created 10 Things to Tell You, I had less ego behind this project than I had 
anything in the years prior. Like I wasn't holding it so tight. Like if this doesn't work, I'm going to be devastated. I was like, this feels good right now. I'm just going to start this. It makes sense. It feels like a message I want to be sharing and talking more about. And so so when I started 10 Things to Tell You, I held the whole thing very loosely. And as you know, as I think you probably know, those are the things that tend to do well or do better when you're not so attached to them that you're just like strangling them to death, which I feel like I had done in the past with various ideas. I just held so tight to something that I like strangled it. I literally killed it. But with 10 Things to Tell You, it was more just like, this feels good. I'm going to do this for a while. And having that attitude in my spirit, like just going towards alignment and going towards what felt right to talk about, to create. Of course, looking back in hindsight, that had so much more freedom towards success. So pretty soon after I had been doing 10 Things to Tell You, the podcast, just a few months in, I already knew in my spirit, like, this is it. This is what it has taken me 10 years of fiddling around on the internet. Like, this is what I'm meant to be talking about. This is what I am meant to be writing about. The things that we are exploring on this show every week, which is conversation through connection, introspection, asking ourselves questions, having good conversations, finding out who we really are, listening to others, sharing ourselves in order to be known. This is it for me. Like this is what I really feel passionately about. So just a few months in, knowing I'm ready, this is what I want to be writing about. I reached out to one of the agents that I had talked to back in the failed proposal days. So years before, she was actually one of the agents that had come to me. She had found my blog. She repped some of my blogger friends. And she had reached out several times over the years just to say, hey, are you interested in doing a book? I think that your writing would be great long form. And she was always encouraging. And we had talked on the phone a few times and just had a really good connection. I could tell even back then, pre-10 Things to Tell You, that she sort of got my vibe. She got what I was about and what I was trying to do online, even though I hadn't really found a way for it all to gel together. And we'd had a couple of really great conversations, but even she back then during the failed proposal days, was like, this is not the right project. But she'd wanted to work with me, and we'd had this great connection. But when I dropped that whole idea, I dropped all of those sort of ongoing conversations that I was having because nothing felt like the right fit. Well, about a year and a half ago, I reached out to this agent again. Her name is Lisa Jackson. And I said, hey, I know that we talked a few years ago and nothing ever went anywhere, but I was wondering if we could have another conversation. She said, sure. We got on the phone. I explained to her what I was doing. I explained to her what the podcast was and how I felt like the podcast would work in book form. And she was on board right away. So I want to stop here and just acknowledge that this comes from, at that time, a decade of writing online. One of the big questions that I get is, how do you find an agent? And I know there's a blood, sweat, and tears answer to that of people sending queries out to agents and having their proposal already done and shopping the proposal to agents before they shop to publishers, which is what I had done in the failed proposal days. I had been talking to a lot of different agents trying to get them to take me on, and none of that had really worked. Well, now in this story, I'm telling you that this agent is someone that had come to me earlier, and that's just not always going to happen, except for if you have some kind of an online presence or some kind of a presence in your industry, whatever that is. If you're making videos, if you're writing, if you're an actor, if you're a painter, like if you are putting yourself out there, especially if you are able to build an audience by putting yourself out there, if people are really liking the work that you're doing, then it is not uncommon for an agent to approach you. Since that is one of the first really big steps in writing a book is finding an agent, then I just feel like I have to acknowledge up front that my agent came to me and it didn't work out in round one, but then I came back to her years later and it was the right time and the right fit. Now, I also know just as a quick detour that self-publishing is a whole different ballgame than it used to be and you don't need an agent to self-publish. 
this isn't my wheelhouse, so I don't want to like spin off too much on this, but just because I know the teeniest bit about it, I know that people can be very successful, in some ways more monetarily successful in the self-publishing world, and they don't need a middleman. They don't need to find an agent. They don't need to find a publisher. I want to mention it because as the first step, if you're not having any success finding an agent, you might be surprised by what is out there these days in the self-published arena. Okay, but back to my story. Another question that was asked in the connection group is, can you get published without a platform? This goes a little bit hand in hand with finding an agent or not. And I just wasn't 100% on the answer. And so I reached out to Lisa, my agent, and asked her to answer a few of these questions. Here's what she said. My name is Lisa Jackson. I am executive VP and co-owner of Alive Literary Agency. The first question is, do you need an agent? That's a great question. Personally, as an, as a literary agent and as a former publisher, my answer is absolutely yes. There are so many reasons that you need an agent. Most publishing houses today will only accept proposals from agents that are submitted by agents. Now, you will always hear stories of authors who were approached by a publisher unagented and managed to get a book deal without being represented, and that's wonderful. However, as somebody who has been on both sides of that conversation, both as a publisher and an agent, I would still tell you that having a representative is crucial. You need to have somebody whose only job is to look out for you and to protect your interests um, and to be looking ahead with you down the road. Uh, A publisher will only be looking at this project and they'll be looking at your single project while they're also looking at a slew of other projects. Uh, And so it's just so important that you have an agent by your side who can look at your contract through a lens of protecting, solely protecting you as the author, as well as who can look at it through the lens of how is this book proposal, this book contract going to affect things I want to do down the road. So, like I said, you can certainly do it alone, and there are stories out there of authors who have signed book deals unagented, but I just think if this is your career, if this is something that you want to do for the long term, it's so helpful to have someone who has linked arms with you and taken the long view, can help you navigate the hard conversations, can help you evaluate various situations that you run into with your publisher, can help you think about your book project in context of you and how it affects you, whereas a publisher would only be looking at it from a business angle. Second question is, can you get a book deal without an online platform? Possibly. I've seen in recent, recent being the last five years or so, I've seen publishers become much, much more risk averse and really up the ante when it comes to what they're looking for in terms of an online platform. At the end of the day, what they're looking for is proven audience engagement. They want to know that people are coming to you for content, for messages, for something that will eventually translate to book sales. So maybe you are not on Facebook, but you have a very robust email list that people talk about and share and pass on and continues to grow. That's audience engagement. So Online platform does not look the same, does not have to look the same for every author. I always recommend to authors who are looking to build their platform to think about two things. First of all, where do they see the most engagement? And secondly, where do they get the most fulfillment? You know, if it just sucks the life out of you to post on Instagram 
then that's not the place for you because you will burn out. So you have to find a place where it makes sense for you to be engaging with people over your content. And that actually gives you some, some life so that it's sustainable. Podcasts are a great place to build a platform if people, because people have to intentionally tune in there. So it's not just a quick scroll. It, t- it takes commitment. It takes investment. So maybe you have a robust platform through a podcast. That's your place. Maybe it is Instagram. Maybe it is Facebook. Wherever you are seeing the most engagement, that's where you need to put your energy and your effort. So the answer to the question, that's a really long way of answering the question, is yes, you need a platform. You need to show engagement. Does it have to be social media? Not necessarily. So that was my agent, Lisa Jackson. I'm a super fan. She has helped me so much in the last year. And I'm so glad she could pop on and answer that for you guys. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, and use code U, Y-O-U. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com, and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Okay, so once I hooked up with Lisa and explained to her what I was trying to do, she helped me put together my proposal. Agents will have all kinds of proposal templates depending on the type of book that you're going to use. And she sent me different options. She sent me different examples. I also got some examples from my published friends of what their proposals looked like. And so I took all that information and the various templates and modified them for myself. And I just wrote a book proposal. In the book proposal, which I put together last spring, last April, May, June. I was proposing that the book was going to be called 10 Things to Tell You. 
just like the podcast. And in the proposal, you have a summary of who you are as an author, what your past work has been, what kind of audience you have, what you bring to the table. And then you also have your pitch for the book. So you have like a summary, you have a outline, you have chapter titles, You are not leaving it up to chance and you are not just sort of like chatting about, well, here's what I think the book could be. The proposal, as it was when I was going to send it out to publishers, was a really fleshed out idea. Not only was each chapter outlined, there was like a little blurb, you know, a few paragraphs about what this chapter would be. So it was not loosey-goosey at all. It was a tight explanation for what this book will be and the type of person that would buy this book and, you know, the demographics of the listeners to this show that might be interested in purchasing a book like this. Like it was an explanation for who I am, what my message is, what the book will say, and who will buy it. Then at the very end, there's a full chapter or two. I actually only had one sample chapter in my book proposal because it was a really long chapter. And because my outline for the book was pretty extensive, I know other friends who had two to three chapter examples, full written chapters as sample chapters in their proposal so that if it comes across the desk of someone who has never heard of you, has no idea what you're about, which is going to be most everybody for me in the publishing world, that they would get a strong idea about your writing style, and that kind of thing. I should say, because I was pitching a nonfiction book, that I didn't have to have the whole thing written. I've never written a fiction book. I've never written a novel. But I do know that you have to have the novel pretty well done for your first novel, of course. You have to have the book written when you shop it. So once we had the proposal all together, Lisa, my agent, sent it out to dozens of publishers last July. So it was actually exactly a year from now for four to six weeks, we were shopping this proposal to all kinds of publishers, the big houses, the the smaller imprints, lots of people got my proposal. And this was one of the most stressful parts of the whole process of writing a book. Because, you know, if a publisher or an editor is interested They might set up a phone call. And so then you sort of have to get on and really pitch yourself and explain the book better and really talk through maybe what they see as strengths or weaknesses in the proposal or in the idea itself. There was, you know, a few weeks of that. And I learned a lot during those conversations. I also learned a lot getting rejections, which, of course, we sent out to dozens and dozens of publishers I mean, not like 100, but, you know, we sent it out to a lot of publishers. And I thought that the rejections would really sting. Like I'd really psyched myself out that people saying they didn't like the book or that they didn't want to buy the book was going to hurt my feelings a lot. But it actually ended up being a very good learning process because sometimes the rejections were just easy and like, oh, this isn't the right fit for us or we're not looking for things like this right now, or I'm going to (laughs) pass. No explanation. That's fine. That wasn't so bad. And that didn't hurt as bad as I thought it would. But some of the rejections that had a little more explanation to them were very helpful. Because some people might have said, hey, I really like this idea, but we haven't had much success with these type of books. Or another rejection said some version of, hey, we're not really sure if this is like self-help or memoir, and we wouldn't know how to market this. So this is a no. Well, that helped me think, well, what is it self-help or is it memoir? Well, it's kind of both, which is fine. But I do have to think about like, well, who is this going to appeal to? So in some of the rejections, I learned a lot about what I wanted to do with the book. And then when I had these conversations with the publishers who were interested, I was able to address them and talk about it that way. Because the rejections come pretty quickly. But then the people who want to talk, maybe you have those conversations a little later in the process. And I could use some of the rejection language to say, hey, I've thought about this. And I realize that I want this to lean more towards self-help than memoir or vice versa, whatever. But it really helped me to kind of know from the rejections, maybe what the publishers were thinking, like all of them, or maybe what a reader would be thinking, like, why do I want to read this? You know, I really had to clarify what the book was And it forced me to do that through this process of showing it to a bunch of professional people who see proposals every day 
and who were interested but had reservations or who were not interested and here's why, that was actually really helpful. It proved to be really helpful when I was writing the book later. So by the end of the month, after we had, you know, talked to different publishers, we had processed through the different rejections, then we had a handful of people interested. And I had some really good conversations with them, sometimes more than one conversation with them. And then the publishers who are interested make offers. And in their offer, there's a offer of money. And then there might be other details that you can go back and forth on, depending on if you got more than one offer and you can sort of negotiate in that way, or even if you are working with one publisher that is very interested, then there's just a negotiation like any other business negotiation. You might negotiate if it's hardback or paperback. You might negotiate when it's due or when it comes out. You might negotiate if it's just one book or if it might be a two-book contract or a three-book contract where they think there might be sequels to it or if it's not a sequel, but like follow-up type books. Of course, as a first-time author, I couldn't expect that every single request is going to be honored in these negotiations. Like this is just business. Like what makes sense? What kind of audience I'm bringing to the table? What the publisher believes they can deliver in terms of money or marketing or whatever? This part is the business part. So this is why you're glad you have an agent, right? Because Lisa negotiated things or asked for things or explained things to me that I had no idea that that was even part of writing a book. You know what I mean? So when all was said and done, I ended up signing with a publisher that had actually come to me in my blogging days, and that is Zondervan. It's a part of HarperCollins, and my editor there is Carolyn McCready, who I already had a great relationship with from our talks and communications back when I was a blogger. So if you're keeping up with this story, both my agent and eventually my publisher were people that I had thought were not a right fit for me just years before. And then here we are, and they're exactly the right fit for me. Now, of course, part of that is timing, but also, and hear me, because I really have come to believe this at age 41, something that I didn't believe at age 31, is that you cannot miss your boat. I'm sure there are some exceptions to this, but in the majority of life, I really feel like we have a lot of pressure to make something work or that we only get one shot. It's like Eminem or Hamilton tells us like, this is it. You only get one shot. And if you blow it, you've ruined your whole life. And I just don't believe that. I think that so often, if it is meant for you, that boat will come back around and you can get on then. You just didn't get on the first time. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten on the first time. That was a wise decision for everyone involved. That's what I believe for myself. Had I worked with the same agent and publisher years ago when I wasn't ready, it wouldn't have been right. It wasn't the right project. I wasn't ready to write what I needed to write. Cut two years later, when I was ready, when this book was ready to come out of me, the same people wandered back by, if you will, and it was available. I really believe that whether we're talking about relationships, work, lots of opportunities, we can spin out for years if we think that we missed it. And it just takes a really long lens, a really long view to know that you didn't miss it. Maybe it's coming back around for you and it will be better or you will know better. And it is just one of those very funny like symmetry or God or I don't know what that I ended up working with the very people that I'd consciously decided wasn't right. And now they were exactly right. It's just funny. I'm mentioning that part. I just feel like someone needs to hear that. Okay, so now to the writing of the book. Several people ask me what my writing routines and rituals were like. And so I'm going to tell you what I did and what I'm going to do differently next time. So since this was my first book, and I was pretty nervous about it, (laughs) I'd never written long form like this. The sample chapter that I put together for the proposal had been very difficult for me to write, and I did not think it was that good. Turns out it actually wasn't that good. That whole chapter got scrapped and started over later down the line. But it made me nervous to write in this very long form way that I had never done before. So I was really precious about my book writing time. And by that, I mean, I did not fit it into my regular workflow, my regular 
day. I'm sure there's a hundred ways you could do this. You know, you hear about people getting up early and writing for two hours before they go to their day job or before their kids wake up. If you're a night owl, you could do the same. If you're a very organized planning person, if you just work it into your schedule every single day or something like that. I didn't do any of those things. I felt like I really had to protect my writing time around the book. And so I made plans to get out of my own space and go away so I could be alone with no children interrupting me so that I could have a full unstructured day where I could get enough sleep, where I could not have any distractions. So after signing my book deal in early September, later that month, I went out to Palm Springs, which is a couple of hours drive from Los Angeles. And I stayed in a hotel because, hot tip, Palm Springs hotels and things like that in the weekdays, their prices are like a third of what they normally are on the weekends because people are not there on a weekday in the middle of the fall. So I got a great deal. I went to a place for like Monday to Thursday. Now, there are a few things about this that were super beneficial. It's a two-hour drive. I was really intentional about using that drive out there to like get into book writing mode. You know, I listened to like inspirational podcasts on the way, like I did some meditation and prayer once I got there, like I really made it like almost like a spiritual event, like now I am going out into the desert to write my book. And I did two Palm Springs trips, I think, maybe three, this way for just a few days at a time. And I only wrote my book when I was out there. I didn't work on anything else. At the same time, when I was home doing my regular life, working on this podcast, working on the blog and social media and being a mom and doing my regular life, I didn't try to like fit book writing into the crevices of my normal day. I really carved out that time and did it that way. And that ended up being helpful for me. I could just get in a zone and like felt like I could get messier when I was alone and nobody was watching me. I felt less of a pressure to like make each word or sentence perfect. Like I felt like I could do this messy first draft that everyone talks about. It was easier for me to get into that kind of mode of being like messy and just like, I called it a vomit draft because I just wrote whatever. Like I just blah, everything out on the page. For me, that was somehow easier to be that way, to be that kind of a vomit draft writer. When I wasn't at home, when I wasn't on a tight deadline, like I have to be done by 3 p.m. to go pick up my kids. Like I was just out of my normal mode and it allowed me to just be like completely free and unencumbered and and not perfectionist-y. But also remember I was working off of an outline. So I wasn't vomit drafting just like anything that came to my mind. Like I was working on a chapter outline that I had like three specific stories I wanted to tell. And so I was telling those stories. I allowed myself to write off on a little bit on a tangent if I wanted to, but it wasn't just like a total free-for-all. I had some structure already built in that I'd already worked out back in the proposal days, but now I was just able to write for a couple of hours and then like go get a snack, get something to eat, and then come back to an empty hotel room and write for a little bit again. It was really good for my brain then. So I did a couple of those Palm Springs trips, and then I did a couple of very similar trips to our family's lake house. The lake house trips were actually a little bit less productive because I was in my own space, which I thought would be good for me to be in my own space in my own bed. But actually, like anything else, the same type of distractions exist in your own space. They always do. So I could always think of like a closet that needed cleaning out or an errand that needed to be run or whatever. Whereas I did not have those same kind of pressures when I was at a hotel where... I didn't have to think about anything like that. So as it turns out, I preferred three days of a hotel room to a full week alone at our home where I was comfortable. But you know, you don't really know that until you do it. So that is how I wrote the majority of the book is on these trips. I didn't totally finish it. I was doing it by chapters and I ended up writing the last quarter of it, not in chronological order. I didn't write it in chronological order, but the last quarter of the work that needed to be written. I ended up doing that at home in Los Angeles while my kids were at school. And that's when I realized like, oh, I don't know that I needed those other trips. 
Like I thought I needed them. And maybe I did because, again, it was my first time. I needed to sort of find what I was doing. But by the time I was writing that last 25%, I knew what I was doing. And so I was able to just actually do it. I think next time I'm going to reserve those trips for maybe the very beginning of the process to kind of get in the mode and sort of figure out my footing. Or if you were like stuck and having a block or something, it might be good to get away. But it will not be a requirement for me next time to completely change up my space and leave my family and all of that. Like, I'm glad that I figured out eventually that that was almost like a superstition or a story I was telling myself that I had to write a book this certain way. And then that's not really actually true. You know what I mean? Another thing I want to say about the writing process is one of the things that had really tripped me up and kept me from writing a book all this time, back when I was blogging, back when I was shopping the fail proposal, and then even up until last year, creating, shopping, and writing this book, is that because I've been such a lifelong reader, and because I have always wanted to write a book, I had incredibly high standards for my own work and for what this book would be. And I thought that I wanted it to be like this literary thing, like this very serious thing. Not that the content was going to be all that serious, but like I wanted it to be taken seriously. And actually, this book is, you know, deep and vulnerable. But like, I knew then and now it's not like, you know, a Pulitzer Prize winner by any means. And I am saying that because I had to shed a lot of ego around that. Not that I expected to like, wake up and somehow be a prize winning author. It was just my own thing of like, if I can't do it, well, or if I can't write the best book on this topic that's ever been written, then it's not worth doing. Like that I was going to really embarrass myself and fall on my face to put a book into the world that is not super literary. And I don't know if I'm explaining this right, but I am the most surprised that I am writing the type of book I'm writing, which is self-help memoir. That's not what I set out to write in my life. That's not what I ever pictured writing in my life. But that is what I'm writing. That is where my strengths are, at least right now. Maybe in the future, I will be a different sort of writer. But right now, this is what I'm enjoying. This is what I think I'm good at. And I had to just let the book and this project be what it is without trying to make it like super smart or super deep. I hope that there are some smart moments. I hope that there are some deep moments. But like, it's just me. I'm still me writing these words. And that took a lot for me. By the time I was writing this book and I had sold the book, you know, what it is, I already knew what it was. But I still had to do some work working with myself and even with my therapist to be like, I want this to be something I'm proud of. And and it's not going to be perfect. It sort of just is going to be what it is, which is me. This book is a lot of truth telling about who I am and what I believe. It's not subversive. It's not like hidden themes. It's like what you see is what you get with myself and with this book. And I think I thought I was going to be writing something different in my life. I really thought, you know, it's the difference between like a beautiful piece of classical music and a pop song. Like those are not the same thing. They're not in the same genre. They are both just music. And I was struggling for a little bit to realize I was the pop song instead of a piece of classical music. And I've worked through it now. I actually really, really have. But it took a while. It was a hang up for me that between blogging and social media and podcasting that I am most comfortable and actually my skill set works best for pop instead of like the serious award winning credibility of classical I feel like I just needed to say that because that's really true. And maybe someone out there needs to hear that. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five 
1,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. So now we're to the editing stage. I don't know how this works with other books. In my contract, I turned in the book in February, and then I had three months of the editing process, which means we went back and forth on edits. I'm going to back up and tell you a little bit here that I had an outside editor, like someone who is a professional freelance editor. We were matched up by my publisher at my request. I really wanted this. What I thought I wanted was someone to sort of hold my hand because my chapters are standalone, mostly, I thought that I wanted to be turning in chapter by chapter to this editor, and we would work on it and refine it as we went. So by the time the thing was due to my publisher in February, it would be in decent shape. And so then that three months of editing after I turned it in would not be absolutely brutal. That's what I thought I wanted. The editor from the get-go preferred to be handed the whole project, and then we would work on it together. Now, she's a professional. I was not. I thought I wanted a handholder, but because of scheduling and some other things, it ended up being that I did turn the whole thing in to her at once. And this was after I had really found a rhythm and, and felt okay about the thing when I gave it to her. I'd gone through my own revisions of it, but, you know, I I wasn't, I didn't hate it. I turned it into her in the end of February. <laughs> so because we're all living in 2020 together, you know that mid-March is when the world turned upside down. My kids' school stopped meeting on March 13th. I was about two weeks out from having turned in my book. The world was in turmoil. I was very anxious about that. Suddenly, my husband and children were home all day, every day. And then I got my edits back. And that was the hardest thing I've ever done professionally. I know other writers have said this. All of my author friends have said this. The edits were the hardest part of this whole entire thing. Harder than the proposal, harder than the book deal, harder than writing the book. It was the edits. Now, because I had friends who had told me that ahead of time, I had really prepared myself for the edits being hard in a way that was like, oh, I don't want to cut this part because I really love this part and stuff like that, like like ego. That's not what ended up being so hard about the edits. I found the edits to be excruciating because my editor, who was amazing, she made the book so much better, you guys, but it was so hard. It wasn't that my ego was taking a hit. It was more like just literal hard work. Like you have to take these 500 words and make them 100 words. Like I had to cut for space. Like I turned in way too many words. I had to cut for clarity. She was always asking me, like, what do I mean by this? What point am I trying to make in this section? Like, she was really pushing me for a lot of clarity. It made me realize that I'm not a super clear writer sometimes, which is weird because I thought that I was, but I guess (laughs) I'm learning all the time. And so it was truly excruciating work that I cared a lot about. Obviously, I cared a ton about my book. So if she was going to you know, cut this section or this section has to be a lot shorter. I wanted that to be the best 100 words you could get out of that section, right? So this is just hard work no matter what. To be doing that work in March, April, May of 2020 was tough because the state of the world was making it hard for me to concentrate. I'm an introvert and everyone was home and we were cooking every meal at first and you know, all the reasons you already know, because you lived through it too. But to be doing this work that really, I cared so much about while we were in quarantine, it was, it was, I cried a lot. I'm just going to say I cried a lot. Now, my husband, Jeff is a super hands on dad. Back when I was documenting our quarantine days on Instagram, you might remember that he took on the lion's share of the parenting during this time. He did a lot of meals. He kept the kids occupied. And I spent a ton of time holed up in my office 
just trying to do something because that work would have been slow going, you know, in normal world because it's tedious and you really want to get it right. But it was extra slow going when I couldn't concentrate and I was not sleeping well and my anxiety was sky high. So the editing was so hard for me. But when I gave the editor back the work that I'd done, and then she did some more work on it and handed it back to me. After that first round, we did three rounds of editing between end of February and May. After that first round, I could see how much better the book was getting by going through this intense editing, that the second and third rounds were easier on me because I felt like I was really getting somewhere. I could see that the process was worth it. But that first round, which was about four weeks in the early days of Los Angeles lockdown, it was just super, super brutal. But a good editor is worth like a million trillion dollars. Like I felt okay about what I turned into her originally, and she just helped me make it so much better. Parts I didn't even know need fixing, she just sort of helped me shape them, helped me choose a better word, helped me cut a joke that doesn't really land, but also really forced me to clarify some things. So sometimes there would be parts that she wanted to cut that I would be like, no, this is really important and let me tell you why. And if I had to make a case for her of why we needed to keep this story or this explanation or this joke, and she would be like, okay, well, you need to say that or you need to make it better. And that was a good lesson to me to know like what things I could cut and be like, yeah, that was extra. We didn't need that. This has to stay and here's why and I'm going to tighten it up and I'm going to make it that much clearer. All of that was just a super huge learning opportunity for me. And I cannot say enough about that process. It was hard on a physical, spiritual, emotional, intellectual level. But I learned more from working with my editor in a few months. I learned more about writing in those few months of really working with a professional editor than I have learned in years and years of trying to do it on my own. So hard, but worth it. A bright spot in the middle of the editing process was choosing the cover. Now, by this time, we had already decided to change the name of the book. I had sold it as 10 Things to Tell You. And for a few different reasons, we ended up changing it to the tagline of this show, which is Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First. So we had already changed the title midwinter, I think. And it was time to work on the cover. Now, the publisher creates the cover, works with designers that do the cover, but I cared a lot about the cover. And I had made that very clear, even from back in the negotiating days, I had made it very clear how important the cover was to me. Most first time authors don't have much say in their cover. And I was aware of that, that like, I didn't have a lot of room here to kick and scream if I didn't like the cover that they came back with. But I also knew from author friends that, you know, you just don't have a lot of say. Or if you do have some say, that it is often a lot of back and forth, almost like the editing process, where there's a lot of maybe compromising or just the author and the publisher have different ideas about the cover. And so, you know, it goes back and forth and until they find something that they can both kind of compromise on. I did not want that to be the case. So I put together a Pinterest board of book covers that I loved. And I also requested, if at all possible, to use the colors of the logo here from the show, the pink and red together. I just really like those together. And so it was out of my control, but I was trying to sort of show this is the vibe I'm going for. This is what I really would love to see something like, if at all possible. Well, the publisher came back in the spring, in the middle of the hard edits, actually, with, I can't remember, maybe five cover options. Very nice about taking all the things I had requested in the Pinterest board I'd put together and everything. They were super nice about it, even though they had every right to just be like, yeah, yeah, you don't get a say in this part. (laughs) But anyway, I got the email with like, I think there were five options, maybe all very pretty different. Maybe two were kind of similar, but five different concepts, pretty different concepts. And the first one that I opened was it. I mean, it was literally like, say yes to the dress, except with book covers. And like the first one you put on is like, everyone is just like, well, that's it. I mean, why are we wasting time with anything else? Like this is it was the first cover I opened is the cover I revealed last week on social media and in the secret posts. I opened it and I 
I blinked because I had really prepared myself for it to be like, oh, no, you know, this isn't what I was picturing. So I'd really like kind of geared myself up when I got the email. I opened that first one and I was like, well, there's my book cover. Like, there it is. And I was completely shocked and stunned. I opened up the other covers, which were nice, but they were not it. And I was like, this is it. And then I was like, am I being, maybe I'm being crazy. Maybe I've been in lockdown too long. I went and got Jeff. I went and got our kids. And I was like, can I show you this? And Jeff knew how much I cared about it. I was like, I'm just going to, I didn't tell him anything. I was like, I'm just going to open him up. I opened up the first one and he's like, oh, that's it. And I was like, I know that's it. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I, I think this is total kismet. I don't think that that normally happens. I'm super in love with the cover. They knocked it so far out of the park. And by the way, it doesn't look anything like the covers that I sent over on my Pinterest board. I mean, it's in the same idea, but to me, it just felt like they understood me and my content and my style and what I was going for, and they just nailed it. I just was absolutely flabbergasted and shocked in the best possible way. I love the cover for Share Your Stuff. I'll go first. I think it looks fantastic. That's the cover story. Okay, the last question that I got from the connection group was, what are the marketing expectations? How much is on the author? Listen, it is so early that I can't even answer that completely. We haven't even had a big marketing meeting yet, so I don't even know how this goes. I don't know how this part works. I do know from other author friends that a lot of expectations are put on the author, especially when they have a platform already. And I personally, not as a huge marketing ploy, but because I really want to do it, I have some real ideas around this book, what I want to do around the launch in terms of content on this show that I'm super excited about, that is totally real, that I would like to do at any time, not just around the book launch, but I'm going to save it for that because I think they're fun ideas and they're good conversations to have online. And I'm super excited about all of that. So I will work that around the launch. But other than that, I can't tell you just yet what the expectations are for them, for me. I have no idea. One of the things that I want to be talking about in the connection group this week is if you have thoughts on the way that books are launched these days. Now, I don't know how much control I have around any of this, by the way, but I do just want to hear how you feel about book launch teams and Goodreads and advanced reader copies and Bookstagram and You know, if you have big thoughts on all of those things, I would love to hear it. I genuinely want to hear what makes you buy a book, what makes you sick of a book. You know, I don't want to be talking about this book constantly for the next seven months, and I won't be. But right now, because of this episode, I do want to take this week ahead of all the marketing conversations I'm going to be having in the coming months to sort of see what you guys think or what you prefer. That matters to me. So please do make sure that you are in the connection group if you want to be jumping in on those conversations. I will leave a link to that in the show notes. Also, if if there is stuff that you want to know about the book, or if you want to know some of it early, anything like that, please do make sure that you're signed up for the episode emails, the 10 things to tell you podcast email list that is separate from my secret posts that only go out once a month. The episode emails go out every single week with details about the episode links to the show notes, links to things that I talk about in the episode. If you want to be getting all of that, basically the show notes via email every week, please do make sure that you're signed up for that. You can go to 10thingstotellyou.com and you'll see where to sign up for those. I hope that I covered all of your questions in here. I am super excited about this book. Someone asked me in the group if I have let friends and family read it yet. And yes, I sent it out to just a very small number of people, a childhood friend, an author friend, someone who hasn't known me very long. Like I handpicked just a few people that I felt like would have very different perspectives on me and my work and my writing and my stories that are in the book to kind of just get their vibe, like get an idea of how they received the content of a book like this. And it was really helpful to get their feedback. And I was able to sort of change just a few tiny things after that. But that mattered to them mattered to me, I respected their feedback a lot on that. And then of course, I have let my husband read it, I read it out loud to him, to be honest, and I sent it to my mom to read it. And so those are the biggies, right? Like those are the reviews that really, really count. I hope you guys will consider pre-ordering the book. There may be incentives coming with that in the fall, but even if you pre-order it now, you will still be able to get those incentives when they're available. 
There is going to be an audiobook version. So if you're listening to this now, you will also be able to listen to the book itself. You can pre-order an audiobook as well. It's all very exciting. Thank you for letting me drone on and on about it today. I know that not everyone is interested in the publishing process at all. So thank you for indulging me on this. I hope it was interesting to you. I've always been curious about some of these questions before I wrote my own book. And so I'm super glad to be able to talk about it here. I'll be answering more questions throughout the week in the connection group or on Instagram, which is at 10 things to tell you. I'll try to do a live this week where I answer any follow up questions. I'm sure I missed a few for this, but this has been super fun. And I just appreciate you so much listening to the show, sharing this show, because this show is what spawned this book. And this is exactly the right book for me to have written right now. I really believe in the power of sharing ourselves as a way to connect. And I really hope that Share Your Stuff, I'll Go First, is an example of that for you, for your friendship groups. It is my deepest hope that friends read this together and are able to answer the questions that each chapter poses together, work through it as a book, much like we do on this show with a question every week that starts good conversations. This will be that in book form along with very vulnerable stories about my life, things that I have never shared before, sometimes not even with close friends. So I cannot wait for you to read it. I cannot wait to talk more about it as the launch gets closer. But thank you so much for letting me celebrate the cover reveal and that the thing is in the world. It means so much to me. Share your stuff. I'll go first. Launches February 2021. And I already cannot wait. just listen to the 10 things to tell you podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 things to tell you.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 things to tell you. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.